Hey, Summit Downtown. This episode, I sit down with member Ryan Sari. Ryan has been a part of a roundtable conversation that we've had uh, in the past. He and his wife Katie and their family are new members to Selma, though they've been attending for, well, over a, a year, uh, but they uh, just recently became members. In fact, haven't even officially become announced yet because of COVID and they were actually up to be announced uh, in the month of March of 2020 and that didn't happen. But either way, Ryan and I sat down recently and had just a good conversation, hanging out and talking about different things uh, scripturally and uh, biblically and theologically. We were talking a little bit about his, uh, what he's been reading, um, about his practice of silence and solitude and just his experience there. Uh, and then even at the end of this episode, I tack on what actually chronologically became came, uh, was the beginning of our recorded conversation, but it kind of fit to put it towards the end. So I popped it on there for your listening enjoyment about our conversation regarding the gospel-centered movement and both the beauties of it as well as some of the, the things that sometimes it, it, uh, it when people take it in the wrong way, it puts forward that are unhelpful. But anyway, this is our conversation. Hope it's helpful. Okay, so let's just start. What have you been reading lately? <laughs> Good question. Um, Thank you. <laughs> yeah, maybe I'll, I'll start with maybe this will help us to chat about some other things too. Um, reading has become a part of my regular like spiritual discipline cocktail. Okay. <laughs> if you will. <laughs> I will. <laughs> uh, you know, I still read my Bible on, on a regular basis and in different ways. Um, but yeah, there have been things in life that have moved me towards more than just hardcore, inductive Bible study day in and day out. Sure. <laughs> um, for my uh, spiritual formation. So yeah, reading it has been a huge one. Um, I have not always been a, a reader, quote-unquote. I could always read. Uh, <laughs> I was going to say, uh, <laughs> is this kindergarten, or like, uh, are you talking about somewhere ever? Uh, yes, okay, so not one who's someone who frequently read. <laughs> Correct, yes. yes. Um, but yeah, I think there was a point in life where uh, time was less available um, through having children and job changes and things, and one of the ways that I... Are, are you talking about now? Like in your life right now? You're not talking about now. No, I am. Okay. Oh, that... okay. I was going to say, there was a time. Is that time not now? <laughs> like, it is now. Yeah, this is 2020. It's the past and the present. Yeah, okay. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, all that to say, yes, reading is a, is a big part of um, books of just how I pursue my own discipleship. Um and in particular, recently, I don't remember who or when this advice came to me. Um, as we, as believers, you know, pursue um, diversity, racial reconciliation, things that we believe that we're called to be about in those spaces, um, that our reading should include voices that are non-white male. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Ken and I were just talking about how we came into ministry when it was Tim Keller, N.T. Wright, John mm-hmm. Piper. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, those were the holy trinity of <laughs> ministry leadership. I believe, Mo- yes. Most likely right, at yeah, the time. Right. I think Piper's the father in this, or is <laughs> Keller. I don't know. That's tough to, see. That's tough a, to assign. Yeah. N.T. Wright's definitely the spirit. Yes. That's <laughs> <laughs> true. <laughs> People are now Googling into you, right? Being like, why is he this spirit? <laughs> <All right. laughs> um, yeah, and I think those are just easy people to, to learn from, to turn to. Mm-hmm. Um, for a number of reasons. They both, they all wrote a lot of books. They did, right. <laughs> they yeah, still they, do. You got a lot of material. <laughs> um, so it was easy. Don't you write? He's retired now. Well, maybe oh. not from writing. Yeah. No, yeah, he's retired yeah. as the Archbishop of yes. uh, yeah. Westminster Abbey. Yes. Yeah. Right. No. No. Not that, but something like that. Right. Exactly. <laughs> a very important. Yes. Uh, position. Yeah. In the Anglican. They're all church. retired from leading their churches now, actually. Oh, I guess that's true. Yeah. yeah he was. Uh, Interior was the last one. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, but Keller. Yeah. 
Yeah, right. Just recently, and then Piper years yeah. back. Yeah. Okay. All that to say, um, yeah, there wasn't, at least at the time, didn't seek out other voices of uh, female leaders, of black leaders, of other minority group leaders in particular at the time. Um, but yeah, that advice came to me probably a few years ago, and since then I've really um, made that a choice to. I utilize the library quite often. I don't know if, if like people indie, are familiar with the, the Indianapolis public library. library. Yeah, well, the Central <laughs> Library. I feel like yeah. I feel like uh, downtown moms are very yeah. They they're aware of the Central Library. Yeah. Uh, the we utilize is the College Avenue branch. Yeah. Yeah. We use Spades Park a lot. Yeah. Right. Because yeah. the Central, the Central has some design flaws in the kids section of like where they. <laughs> They allow your kids to kind of pick and roll yeah. you and like get away from you. Uh, and if you yeah. have been ever been a mom with multiple kids at this yeah. central library, there's no need to introduce that yeah. concept. Yeah. Um, but the library has a system that allows you to get free books <laughs> as often as you like. Well, uh, is it, yeah. now is this a COVID reality? Are these essential workers? <laughs> I don't know, but you can check out digital books from the library. That's true. You if can you own a digital reading device. Yeah. You never have to leave your home. Yeah. Which a phone yeah. is such device. Yeah, a okay. phone can count. Yes. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Anywho, that has helped me in my pursuit of finding non said authors. White. Yes. Non male. Yeah, and making them accessible um, to leaders. to read on a regular basis. Yeah. Yes. So, um, yeah, there have been quite a few books in the last few years. Um, I'd say some of the books I've read um, by women have been most influential really in the last couple of years okay um, what like what, what are some of the women or the titles um sacred rhythms ruth bailey harden mm -hmm. silence and solitude ruth yeah. bailey harden yes yeah um, no an invitation to silence and solitude yeah by uh we're saying it right ruth is it Haley barton Haley barton i said yes. bailey harden yeah Haley right. barton. that's all right no it's a, yeah. It, yeah no it's fine uh but yeah ruth one is it now? Haley Barton. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That book, I was already doing, I, I, I was first given Into the Silent Land. Uh, have you read that? No. Okay. That's by a Catholic author and writes in Silence and Solitude, the idea of practicing yeah. prayerful silence and solitude in a way that really only a Catholic mystic could. Um, and was really great, but yeah. For whatever reason, when I read uh, Ruth Haley Barton, I have to think about <laughs> it every so time sorry. now. No, it's fine. <laughs> I have to think about it now. Uh, when I read her in introduction or invitation to Sounds and Solitude, I I read it. I read pretty much. No, I read the book in a day, which mm. I don't think I've ever done. I mean, it's a small book. It's yeah. only like a hundred pages, yeah. maybe a hundred and twenty pages. Yeah. Uh, but still, even those, I've never really sat down and read in a day. I'm a very slow reader. <laughs> Um, and part of it is because like I like to read a chapter and let let it sit yeah for a day or two mm -hmm. or three yeah and uh, I remember so I lost right you know we oh. all watched it yeah yeah of course uh, I watched I had season one of Lost because I started it late I started Lost late I got season one in the summer of two thousand seven. And I forget when Lost came out, but a few years before that. I think they yeah. were probably like getting ready for season four at that point. Yeah, it sounds about right. And I uh, I was in Florida. Uh, I was interning at the Florida Studio Theater as the casting intern okay. in Sarasota, Florida. Okay. And I would go home for lunch. Uh, like we, we lived like maybe a half mile from the theater. They put us up in a housing unit uh, there. And so I'd walk home for lunch, and I would watch one half episode uh, on my DVD complete set of season one of Lost. Uh -huh. And I would stop it halfway. I would do I would do two act breaks, you know, because yeah, uh, cause, yeah I, if you don't know, uh, TV shows are at least the ones that used to be on TV on network TV were made up of a four act or two act uh, structure with a comedy of twenty three minutes being. Uh, a cold, uh, a a cold open, and then two acts, uh, but then a uh, a a hour long drama would be a cold open, and then four acts. So I'd watch the cold open, 
two acts, cut it off, come back the next day and watch two more acts. Uh, because I just wanted to let the first act, first two acts just sit for a couple days. Okay. Yeah. That's and, where we were going with this. Basically. <laughs> <laughs> That's how we had to get here. It's because I, I read slow. I watch Lost slow. Okay. Uh, uh, I did catch up to watch the sixth or the final season, whatever it was, in time, um, which we can get into that. That's Maybe we'll get into that today. Who knows? Yeah, who knows? <laughs> but uh, it's very spiritual season. Yeah, you know it was. It, it, the season finale speaks for itself. Yeah. Um, but or the series finale. Uh, either way, I read that book in a day, and <laughs> Ruth Haley Barton's Invitation to Sound and Solitude, and. It was because I remember reading it and essentially being like, I just feel like my soul is completely thirsty for, and resonating with her experience of, like, particularly the first couple chapters when she talks about being a young mom, a young professional, a young author, her head spinning a thousand different directions. And I remember she used this metaphor of she was her soul was like a jar of river water mm-hmm. that was shooken up yep. and her counselor said maybe you need to sit still long yeah. enough for that water and sediment and mud and rock to all yeah. come to a place yeah. of rest I remember that and that was like I'm in, I'm in for this book for the rest of yeah, the day. Yeah. I was I was it was a sermon prep day, and I that was all I did that day was read, read that book, and some people got a recant a recounting of my impression of that book for that. Oh, book. Yeah. that would have been one of the first. Yeah, when you were showing up. Yeah, that's true. Okay. That's true. Yeah. No. Yeah. Full circle. One of those days, I was just reading Ruth Haley Martin, and I think I showed up with a copy of the book. I'm like, I recommend this book because. Little did people know that's all that plus yeah. looking at the passage and, uh, <laughs> was all that I had done that week. Speaking communion. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that, I'll add a couple others before we get too deep on that. Within the same theme, um, Sarah Haggerty, I don't know if I'm saying her name right. Sounds familiar. Um, who wrote a book I read last year, Unseen, and a book this year called Adore. In all of these books that we're talking about, uh-huh. look um, this up as you talk. That a theme that rocked me continues to rock me is that you read them and they're all about. They're not all about. That's hard to say. They're heavy about uh-huh. you know connecting with God and recognizing His presence. Yeah, and having a deep relationship. But at the same time, none of them are about. Go and do more of this. Mm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if anything else, it's quit doing so much. And just be. And just be. Yeah. And as we <laughs> talked some earlier about um, the missional movement as well mm-hmm. is at the opposite end of that spectrum. So just Typically, for the listener, the missional mu- movement that you're referring to <laughs> is the movement in the church in a good movement that Soma yeah. might even at many times be a part of at times yeah. be like the sense of like how are we focused on bringing the kingdom of completing the mission of being missional of focusing on how do we focus our efforts on evangelism and service yeah. and things like that which to many people at Soma might be like Oh, that's just that's just church, but that yeah. actually is a specific movement of church that right. not all churches have yeah. been in that stream. In the last hundred years, is relatively new. Yeah, right. Yeah. It's it's a trend. It's yeah. a fad. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we we yeah. caught the fad. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, it's an emphasis on doing action, etc., which can be a hundred percent positive at times. Um, but yeah, that was the the thing about all those books that rocked me was um, drawing you back to an intimacy with God that isn't based upon um, how much missional work you are in fact doing. Yeah. That it's being still. Yeah. um, Being in prayer. Mm -hmm. Allowing yourself to feel seen by Mm -hmm. God. Um, Sacred Rhythms for the listener is (laughs) (laughs) Uh, multiple disciplines that Ruth Haley Barton breaks down that have been, you know, formational for her. And one of those in the book is Silence and Solitude. So mm-hmm. that was my first probably 
uh, interest peaked. And then, so I, <laughs> I got part two, <laughs> invitation. To I was gonna say, was it, which did she write first? <laughs> I think Sacred Rhythms. Really? Yeah. Oh, okay. Interesting. I think because so. I know that's probably her bigger, yeah, known title. Yeah. Uh, but I, I haven't read it. Yeah. Yeah. And I'll reference one more book here, um, called Sacred Enneagram. Oh, um, did she write that? No. Oh. I don't know who wrote it. It was a dude. <laughs> um, well, I hope he was non-white <laughs> for I, this conversation. I think I broke my rule. Uh oh. Once last year. Oh no. <laughs> um, he also references um, this practice, and he goes through the different cat, like the different groups of enneagram types, and says, "So I'm typically a one," and says for the for the um, nine one two, correct? That's a. A triad. Enneagram, you're t- oh, so the triad of the nine, the one, and the two. Yeah. Or no, is it, it's eight nine one. Eight nine one. Yes. Eight, yeah. Nine, sorry. One. Eight nine one. Yes. Eight nine one. That's the uh, the that's the gut triad, right? Am I right? I can't uh, yeah. No. Yeah. Absolutely. That's yeah. the gut triad. Uh, two three four is the heart triad, and five six seven yeah. is the head triad. Yeah. Yeah. So the way he described it was. He broke it into stillness, silence, and solitude. And the 891 gut triad, he said, means stillness. Mm. Um, which, again, cut right to me. Yeah. So I was like, I need to start doing this. Yeah. <laughs> so for Lent this year, um, my practice, or you know, whatever you want to call it, was 20 minutes of silence every day. Okay, during, every day. During Lent. Okay. I definitely well, missed a few. Well, <laughs> to be, <laughs> but Sundays don't count, right? Is that? <laughs> yeah, that's true. No, that, that, so that historically, I, I felt like I the first couple of lens I did, I was like going hard even on Sundays. I'm like, come on, you can't give it up on Sundays. And then I found out that Lent is the 40 days from Ash Wednesday to Easter Sunday. Except if you count it, minus it's actually Sunday. 46 days because yeah. they're intending for you to minus Sunday. Yeah. And so I was like, well, yeah. Protestant error. Gosh. Yeah. <laughs> so, anyways, um, that was my first deep dive into that practice. And um, What was that like? It's, it's tough to describe you yeah. know, what it's like. Yeah. But it's tough to explain to someone how stillness is a practice. Right, <laughs> right. you practice not doing something. Well, yeah, um, I mean, that's what I – because I, I always tell people this is something I think I learned – in my theater study in college because we had a class called voice for the actor Mm -hmm. in which people think of that and they think like that's like singing but like voice for the actor is very much so oh man how do i describe (laughs) it's an entire technique built uh kristen linklater wrote the book freeing the natural voice and in it the basic premise is that as a child, your voice is completely connected to your impulsive nerve. So that's why children, when they are hungry or they're sad, they scream, they cry. (laughs) When they're happy, they laugh. Their impulsive nerve and their voice are one and the same. And then the first time she writes in the book that you come down screaming, I want a cookie, I want a cookie, I want a cookie. And not only do you not get a cookie, but you get sat in time out or a spanking or whatever. You learn that moment. I need though my my impulse of nerve says I want a cookie. Scream about it right now. I'm going to reroute my impulse, and I'm going to teach my voice to come down and say, "May I have a cookie, please?" In a very soft and sweet voice. And then you are rewarded not just with one, but with two cookies. <laughs> and this is straight from the book. And uh, this is like the intro. And so she's like, that is, you know, an example of the beginning of the deviation of your voice from your impulsive nerve, which she points out in the book is a positive thing. Like you need to learn as a human to not be connected to your impulsive nerve at every way, shape and form. Otherwise you would be like a grown up toddler. Yeah. But she says for the actor, she leads you through processes and techniques to try to reconnect with your impulsive nerve because as an actor, you're typically playing people in the most 
extreme circumstances of their life. Yeah. This is a story worth telling, so it's the most painful or the most elating Mm -hmm. or the most powerful moment that this person has ever experienced, and that is when your voice and your impulsive nerve are one again. Like, you toss out all the social conditioning. Yeah. Uh, You know, I mean, that's why you see somebody who's grieving. I mean, they just, like, they're not thinking about, how am I being perceived you know like they're just screaming you know like a child because you go back to that moment yeah and so essentially it's a whole technique about trying to return to that natural voice and so this is the point in the class we we had three classes at at butler uh and the theater program about the net about like connecting your your voice to your impulsive nerve and each the beginning of the class said uh my professor uh diane timmerman who was like one of my early mentors when it came to acting and whatnot. Um, she said, so much of getting better, striving to be something is like, you know, it, it's strength training. It's getting stronger. It's lifting something bigger. Mm. But she's like, this is literally the discipline of letting go. Yeah. And... We could work lost into that right there. Oh, okay. hold on. Do it. Do it real quick. Do it. <laughs> oh, oh, no, wait. No, the, I, I know I'm with you now. Yes, right. Exactly. Jack needs to let go. Um, but, uh, but yeah, like essentially this, the entire exercise of silence and solitude is not one of doing bench press or push-ups or crunches or pull-ups. It's one of learning to release a mm-hmm. muscle that you don't even realize you've been clenching. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great description. Um, for me, going back to the, the Enneagram thing as a dominant one, stillness. So my tendency is to <laughs> read more, to study more, mm-hmm. to do X, Y, and Z more yeah. so that I can overcome um, a sin pattern in my life Yeah, to be more intimate with the Lord, yeah. to do whatever it is that I'm trying to be better at in my spiritual life. And this is, the practice of stillness is fighting against that, yeah. <laughs> that urge. Yeah. Um, and a perfect reminder that I can't will that stuff yeah. to happen all on my own. Yeah. That it requires... God to be active to intervene um, to to be with me yeah all those things um, in stillness and silence is just a reminder of that I mean not every time but multiple times it there were tears you know just mm. being there in silence yeah and reflecting even just a little bit on God being with me um, wait what was the you know, um, I guess if you don't mind me asking, what Go. was that like? Like the moment of like, I'm sitting in silence, I'm doing nothing. And like, I am overcome with yeah. tears. Yeah. It's definitely, yeah, it's a spiritual moment. Um, an intimate moment uh-huh. with, with God. Yeah. Um, to shut everything else out. And to say, this time is just for you. Yeah. This, um, for you to speak to me, to not speak to me, to just be together. Yeah. Is all it is. And there's just, I don't know, there's just something incredibly relational and intimate about choosing to just be with someone and not to accomplish something with them. Well, now see, as (laughs) when it comes to the five love languages, I'm a quality time person. Uh, See, I'm not, but I can, I can get there. <laughs> wait, what are you? With the five level languages of, of receiving. Yeah. Touch. Touch. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Well, this is killing you. This COVID nineteen thing. Huh? <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, I talked with another person who's a touch person on the on the love languages, and uh, I was like, oh, this is rough. I, I gave them a hug. I did. Uh, COVID and all. Thoughtful. Yeah, it was. All right. In the midst of a pandemic. Um, and 
but yeah, but no, I am a quality time and like the love languages are like, yeah, how do you receive love? I receive love by people spending tons of non-agenda time with me, mm. which is really tough on my wife because <laughs> for her, I can affirm her and touch her and she feels great. And then to return that favor, she has to spend hours of non-agenda time with me. It's a very, it's a big investment. Uh, when we live in the great depression of time, uh, <laughs> Which is what we, what, I guess maybe what we used to live in. Now we're slowly trying to get back to. We're trying to fight yeah. to get back to that Great Depression yeah. time. Um, it's that pendulum again. Yeah. <laughs> Going back and forth. Um, anyway. Uh, yeah, no, I mean, yeah, that idea of just like being in God's presence. Like, I know so many times when I was... At growing up and hearing people talk about the overcoming and overwhelming presence of God, I just remember thinking like bullcrap. Like <laughs> I don't, I don't, I haven't experienced that. I don't think you've experienced that. Yeah. And yeah. I feel like it is, it doesn't happen right away with no. silence and solitude. In fact, no. I've heard one person say, you should practice silence and solitude for 10 minutes a day every day for six months before you decide it's, if, it's <laughs> if it's for working. you. Yeah. yeah, if it's for you or not. Yeah. And uh, it, because, like, it, I mean, yeah, maybe, like, I, it would probably took me something. I mean, I didn't, I wasn't doing it 10 minutes a day every day, but, like, it was probably the equivalent of 10 minutes a day every day for six months mm. over the course of several years. Yeah. Uh, until I had some moments where I'm like, I, I feel like being like the presence of God is as evident as the presence that we are experiencing right now. Mm. And it's those moments where like the idea of God being a personal being mm. was more than just like a theological understanding. Yeah. It was like an experiential understanding. Yeah. And I think part of what I've had to learn there through lots of different avenues is my inability to will those moments into yeah that stinks existence. <laughs> <laughs> that is the bummer about that because uh, yes even though i've had them i can't do them like on command in any way in fact i i probably don't get them uh probably 49 times out of 50 <laughs> you know i guess that'd be 98 times out of 100 um maybe yeah. more than that i don't know <laughs> yeah start measuring yeah, right. Start. I'm gonna start. I'm gonna start doing sounds in solitude, and then at the end of time, I'm gonna say, "Did I experience the tangible presence of, yeah. of a personal God? Yes or no?" Take a survey, and I'm yeah. gonna, yeah, yeah, I'm gonna tally. Yeah, yeah. So silence and solitude. Well, we recommend it. <laughs> well, and I hold on. There was something, and maybe I've lost this thought. Uh, something you're saying the idea of the letting go oh yeah it was something to the effect of so i think when i think of that letting go in that discipline of letting go versus like reading more or praying more or mm. doing something more active mm -hmm. i think of i have very often i think just as of late like noticed i noticed this often at this time of year I will notice like how much tension I'm holding in my body, like how much muscle mm. I'm clenching at different times. I'm just like driving, you know, doing something very passive. Mm -hmm. And I'll notice like I'm like clenching every muscle in my lower body. Yeah. And, and I will in that moment try to like intentionally release that tension. And... I don't think I was even aware of that until I started doing Sons and Solitude. Oh, yeah. And then I feel like that, like, started cueing me more into, like, some of the tensions that are just in my body, like, in my jaw, mm. in my, yeah, yeah, my lower body. And it was even, like, as I became more, as I got used to slowing down and, like, feeling like <clears throat> what it was to let go, I would all of a sudden feel in moments when I'm just, like, Kind of listening to something in my body or watching something or doing something that should be passive actions mm -hmm. and my body's just holding all this tension and I'm almost trying to like in this moment just try to learn to let go because I think there is something about following Jesus that is essentially 
learning to just completely let go. I mean, mm-hmm. I talked about this with Michael the other day on the podcast about like basically trusting God when everything looks completely dire yeah. and looks completely like it's going the wrong direction. Yeah. And that is ultimately the act of faith. And so when you see people who have so discipled themselves in faith, they're typically people that are just like amazingly free and just like mm. are able to just accept what comes to them. Mm. And it's not like they're passive in life. They're very active. Yeah. But then like they don't invest their identity too much in the result of any of their uh, like their efforts. Yeah. They accept tragedy or joy or all things as they come. Yeah. And they almost just are able to like be present and just experience God in all circumstances. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what, though I'm a long ways from completed on that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> when I say a long ways, I think two weeks. I'm two weeks from being completed. Uh, that's long. Yeah, I know. You know, exactly. Um, but in two weeks, I'll be done. Uh, and I will be someone who is able to just accept all circumstances exactly yeah. right <laughs> float in the lazy river uh that is faith in jesus so <laughs> it's not a bad analogy i know right actually i'm trying to, i'm thinking about this now this has this has legs um yeah in that good in that uh sacred enneagram he gives a word to each of the types of like here's what you need mm-hmm. like to be uh, peace Okay. And for me, part of what you're describing is the word serenity, uh, of having that yeah. complete ability to yeah. be at peace, to yeah. let go, um, to not hold too tightly to the things that don't need to be held tightly to. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's been a word I've I've thought a lot about getting tattooed on my forehead or something. <laughs> Serenity. You'd have to tattoo it backwards, obviously. <laughs> to read in the mirror. Exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's for, and that's for the Enneagram one. Yeah. Which is the good person or the, uh, the perfectionist. Yes. And uh, that, yeah, like God's call essentially is to be at peace with imperfection. Uh, do you remember the words for the other ones? <laughs> no. Dang it. I, I want to know mine. All right. <laughs> uh, Your local library carries it. So uh, there you go. All right. Well, there you I go. Think, I think on audiobook. So. There you go. Plug for the IPL <laughs> Overdrive audiobook system. Um, okay. What else were when we talked about ahead of time? Did we talk about other <laughs> other nooks and crannies to this? Uh, we talked. I mean, just different disciplines. I think and different uh, authorships <laughs> that we could go down. Yeah, we're at forty five minutes. We probably shouldn't. <laughs> okay. All right. Unless unless you have something that you feel like this is this is a word from the Lord for, for <laughs> the podcaster in the Lord. moment for the listener. Um. I would, I think the one thing that, just going way back to where I started here on the whole book reading thing, is, yeah, this whole freedom that I believe that we have as believers to figure out the spiritual disciplines that are going to help us connect with God for the place and time that we are in life. Yeah. Um, When I was a... Uh, Campus Crusade staff member and church staff member. Uh, I could spend hours and hours of time <laughs> in Bible study. Yeah. And inductive study and prep for a sermon, etc. Today, not as much. Yeah. Um, part of that's vocation, part of that's children. <laughs> <laughs> that's procreation. <laughs> yeah, right. Vocation, procreation. Yeah. Cation, lots of occasions. Yeah, right. Um, <laughs> so I've had to, yeah experiment in some ways of what are the other disciplines that exist yeah, yeah. <laughs> that are tried and trusted uh, tried and tested that I can also utilize um, to continue connecting with God I think there's a lot of people I know that they get out of that college bubble of I was able to grow in all yeah. these ways and I had all this time yeah and 
fall off in discipline at times or even transition out of vocational ministry and the same yeah. thing. Yeah. Um, what I've had to do is, yeah, pursue and, and test and try different um, disciplines that will continue to, yeah, draw me closer and sanctify and um, remind me of my standing with Christ. And those are right now, like, I guess yeah. what are those right now? Um, the big ones right now <laughs> would be um, so yeah, book reading is. I'm not sure where that fits in into a classical <laughs> discipline. I, but actually, I, yeah. I mean, well, if you take like the larger, like the spiritual formation, like big volumes that like really kind of. I think there is definitely one. I mean, it's basically just like study yeah. or yeah. reflection. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So. And then, um, lectio divina has been a big practice for me yeah. in the last couple of years. Um, which I podcasted uh, on way back in the way. <laughs> I mean, look, yeah. look for the Lectio Divina ep- <laughs> episode if you want to know more yeah. about The that. short version of that is, you know, a dedicated time of, again, recognizing God's presence and active mm-hmm. role in, in teaching his word to you mm-hmm. um, in, in identifying what he wants to speak to you through his scripture um, that day. Sometimes it's a phrase that pops out. Sometimes yeah. it's a word. Yeah. Um, but... Nine times out of ten, if I sit down and commit that time, there is something that I think God speaks to me. So yeah, it's like reading something slowly. Yeah. And I've heard it described as almost looking for the word or the phrase or the verse that shimmers. Mm. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, you're reading it and like all of a sudden something just kind of shimmers. Yeah. Uh, and the, trusting that the Spirit is pointing that out to you yeah. in the moment. Yeah. Yeah. Silence and Solitude would like for it to be more. <laughs> you're working on that. Yeah, you're in process. <laughs> to come back as, maybe not as intense as Lent, but more frequent. Well, in two weeks, I'll, t- I'll teach you. Um, uh, yeah. It, man, okay. I feel like maybe we'll do this in another conversation. I was like talking about like the different phases of life and the different disciplines. Yeah. Because I feel like that's true. Like yeah. There's like this reality to sometimes in life... I, yeah, early on in Christianity, I was all about, like, scripture and, uh, and listening to sermons, and I still, like, I, I, like, it was just, like, scripture, scripture reading in a different way, like, I still read scripture, obviously, on a, on daily and the regular, but, like, Yeah. yeah, it's, like, I found different ways in this season I mean, almost at the beginning of my, my, like, understanding of faith, it was like being like a Hoover vacuum or Kirby, the video game, and like just <laughs> sucking in all that I could possibly get in. And now I feel like I'm in much more of a season of like seeking things and formational tools that I find presence. Yeah. in yeah. and I find stillness in yeah. because life is chaotic and life yeah. it feels like it's it's Kirby sucking me dry and uh, <laughs> and so I find all these practices that are are geared towards yeah just being in the presence and the oasis of, of God yeah for sure yeah and going back to um, if someone wants to dig into this now the Sacred Rhythms book is perfect for that Mm. just kind of hopping through different classical disciplines um that do this very thing yeah yeah because yeah she uses that book basically that book like each chapter is a different rhythm or a discipline that has been used historically by the church yeah to connect with god yep and they go beyond just the nightly bible reading or or bedtime prayer yeah Right. Um, unless that's a chapter. devotional book. Yeah, right. Yeah. Exactly. Right. When I say not, but I mean like middle school devotional. Yeah. One page devotional. Here's a verse. Here's and, the key. And, yeah. Right. Here's a story uh, about boy meets world that yeah. reflects to that. Here's the moral oh. <laughs> lesson. Yeah. <laughs> to tell your parents that you learned. <laughs> uh, all right. Well. Cool. This episode has been brought to you by Sacred Rhythms by <laughs> Ruth Haley, Haley Barton. Um, and Maybe next time we can talk about 
uh, like Black Pastors and those types of books that we've been into. We got time. Yeah, we have we got time. time. All right, cool. All right, well, I hope this has been helpful. Um, and uh, yeah, uh, go and be silent and alone. <laughs> Turn this off. I'm just going to get levels here. And I was like, I don't really have a front door. <laughs> <laughs> what? It's like the... When was your house built? The, your front door and your back door are very close together. <laughs> they are, yeah. Yeah, they are. Um, and it's really... It's a side, it's a side door. I was listening... Or we, I, I met with an architect today because we're very serious about a building opportunity. Oh, okay. And so I met with an architect at this space. And he, his mother's Japanese. He spent a lot of time in Japan. He said, like in America, we all have doors parallel to the street, but in Japan, all doors are perpendicular to the street. Okay. And like my house. Yeah. <laughs> I was gonna say, is yours perpendicular? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. There you go. You have a Japanese house. I guess so. I always joked that it was the ark because the door to the door to the ark was on the side. <laughs> It's true. It's true. We we do know that much. <laughs> do you ever listen to that Tim Keller like lecture series on uh, Christ-centered preaching? Yeah, the one on iTunes. You? Yes. Yeah. 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 I have. There's. I don't know why this one stuck with me, but he was like, a bad example of this is I heard a sermon once where a guy said, you know, the door to the ark was on the side, and that's how. Noah entered in and out, and Christ was pierced on his side. Yes. And that's how we <laughs> enter in and out. Yeah. To the blood of Christ. So I This is a wrong example. <laughs> I, I do have beef with that, because uh, actually, this was, this was a podcast I thought about doing, was um, like the beautiful side and the tragic side of the gospel-centered movement. Sure. And like kind of getting towards that sense of like where it's like, yeah, the gospel center movement is wonderful because it is, it is fought the idea of a legalistic religiosity that America often can flow towards with yeah. the sense of salvation through Christ and through, uh, yeah, fully being accepted in identity in Christ and all that. But it also has had a, an unhealthy outcome of like, where it's like that, where it's like, it's the Romans road, like, Charles Spurgeon says, like, if I can't find a road to the cross, I will, you know, beat a pathway myself, sort of thing, or something like that, like, you know, yeah. I'll, I'll force a path, sort of thing, and, uh, and I heard someone say, like, I've heard some really bad sermons in the name of that gospel-centeredness, yeah. of like, we gotta get to the cross, Yeah. Oh. and it's like, yeah. That sort of thing, where it's like, yeah. yeah, oh, the side of the side of the door, the door, the door of the ark was in the side, and therefore Christ was pierced in the side. And, and it's just like I don't know, like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, like. But yeah, you're right. It comes from that sense that like I had to work this in, yeah, somehow. Well, that's interesting too, because Keller is famous for that story, particularly the the bow, the rainbow. Have oh, you heard yeah. him preach, Noah? Where he'll preach like you know the rainbow is like a war bow pointing to heaven, pointing up. It's yeah. pointing up at God, yeah. not pointing down at humanity. It's like yeah. God takes the bow for us. Yeah. And the ESV Study Bible makes a note to say some pastors <laughs> have said that the bow is possibly a war bow pointing up at God. They said there is no linguistic evidence for this whatsoever. <laughs> In that iTunes U, he even he, I don't know if you remember this. He references how they are making the ESV. Oh, really? At that time. Yeah. yeah like, in the same campus. I remember, like, he yeah. referenced stuff. Like, he referenced, like, um, like stuff that John Piper N.T. Wright was saying and yeah. stuff. And it was just, like, and it, like, it seemed like they probably didn't quite have, like, a relationship at that point. They probably weren't both sitting on, like, right. the major factors of the right. Gospel Coalition. Yeah, right. And, uh, and like, he, he was criticizing John Piper or something. Yeah, in some way I remember that, too. Yeah. Yeah. He didn't um, like Christian hedonism. Yeah, right. And he's, <laughs> yeah, because he was saying... I get what he's saying, but I don't. I think the wording is confusing. Yeah, right. Basically, yeah, yeah. Um, what was the other guy's name that like 
N.T. Wright? No, that co-taught that that course. Oh, uh, Ed. Uh, it's his. You know, it's, it's Ed uh, something. Yeah, it's his uh, idol. Uh, not his idol, but his like you know, yeah, one of his mentors. Yeah. Um, yeah, I can't think of his name. I can he, I can hear his voice. Yeah, right. Yeah, he has yeah. a very distinct voice. Yeah, because he references a sermon that's on the opposite spectrum, but was positive about it about Esther, where he said. This pastor preached the whole book of Esther, you know, um, this circumstance of randomness seemed to happen, and then this one, and this one, Yeah. and the pastor just ends it with, and it was all just chance, or was it? Yeah. And that was the end. Yeah. <laughs> and he was like, I loved that one. Yeah. But it had no... Right. Um, yeah, road to salvation <laughs> included, yeah. necessarily. Exactly, and I think, I think sometimes... Now we're getting the point of just like everyone being like amateur Tim Kellers, <laughs> yeah, and trying to For like sure. beat pathways to the cross that like yeah don't exist. And it's like you know the argument, the counter argument, like well, if you're getting the cross, is that ever non-biblical? And I mean, I'm not gonna say like <laughs> I'm not gonna say yes. I guess totally, but I guess it's like sometimes you're missing. I guess the problem with it is that you see people miss the, sometimes a text is meant to leave you with a contrite or repentant, you know, a sense of Mm -hmm. repentance, a sense of rebuke. Yeah. And I think we do people a disservice when it's like, but the cross makes this rebuke not really a big deal, you know, sort of thing. Like, I feel like uh, one of the worst uh, situations of this is like the when people teach through the Sermon on the Mount. Because you'll teach the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus will clearly take a biblical ethic and he'll raise it to a far more demanding biblical ethic. Mm-hmm. And the answer will always be like, well, but Jesus died at the cross for us, so we really don't have to do that, right? Sort of thing. <laughs> it's kind of like what is the unintended... Yeah. Uh, I heard um, Sky Jathani's newest book... Is, what if Jesus was serious or yes. something like that? Yeah, yeah, I've heard him reference the title on, yeah. on his podcast. Yeah. One of the things he, I've heard him say that inspired that, he was teaching something on the Sermon on the Mount. Mm-hmm. And I forget which part it was, but he says, he asked the class, now how many of you think that Jesus really meant for us to follow what he says here? And like no one raises their hand. Yeah, right, <laughs> right. At, at like a seminary. Yeah, <laughs> I mean... Oh, Jesus didn't really mean us to do this. He meant it's just, he, the Sermon on the Mount is just to show us how much we need him Mm. and like show us how woefully we fall short, which is like, yes. Yes. And and (laughs) through the spirit, you, you might actually someday be formed into the image of somebody who might do this. And that I think is my problem with the gospel center movement is that it, it removes any sense of sanctification. Mm. It makes sanctification like this, oh, we'll be sanctified someday in glory. Like, I'll never fully be what I, you know, Christ-like on this side of eternity. Yeah. And I don't think the gospel center movement in its purest form actually does this. Sure. Uh, but I think people have perverted it. Yeah. To essentially make it a sense of... Yeah. Well, it's like about anything where if the gospel centered movement entered into a time where... <clears throat> Sermons and books, etc., were overly metaphorical, uh-huh. allegor, allegoricized, allegoricized. What's that word? Allegoricized. Allegoric. A lot of things in life, right, are a pendulum. So. Yes. <laughs> I support this. <laughs> Wholehearted. Yeah. Um, so if you're on one end, something comes in to swing it back to the middle, mm-hmm. but it ends up a lot of times swinging it to the opposite Mm -hmm. end of that spectrum. So Mm -hmm. essentially what you're describing with the gospel-centered movement Mm -hmm. is they came at a time where maybe our church culture was much more on the side of being entertained, feeling good about things, great metaphors, um, mostly how to live a good life, right? Yeah. And tried to swing it back to being more about Christ. Right. Maybe we've gone now to the other end of how I live, Right, it doesn't matter <laughs> whatsoever. Yeah. Well, and this is like a point that um, Allison Ray, who Allison Joseph, Joseph was on staff at SOMA, as SOMA downtown, they moved back to their home in Alabama. 
Um, but my wife and Allison still talk pretty regularly on the phone. And I forget even how this came up, but they were talking, I think they were talking about like a situation where Sharon was caring for uh, a, wo- a woman as part of a couple and this woman's husband was like kind of making these arguments of gospel sinfulness as a reason to not pursue health and uh, basically more or less. And Allison made the point of just like, yeah, that's the problem is because she's been studying a lot of Charlotte Mason recently. Have you read Charlotte Mason? Charlotte Mason is the, the uh, founding mother of the, of the classical school educational movement. Okay. Uh, a lot of the classical schools, uh, are going off of Charlotte Mason's theories, um, in which she, I mean, one of the, like the Oaks Academy, for instance, their school motto is, it's in Latin, though I don't know the Latin, unfortunately, my children will know it, but I won't. Uh, it is, I am, I can, I ought, I will. So I am, as in I am made in the image of God, I can do what he has designed me and created me to do. I ought to do what is good and right. And therefore, because of all those things, I will enact my will to do it. Yeah. And that's classic Charlotte Mason of like, basically because of our identity in Christ, we can enact our wills yeah. to create character where most people and I think are perverting the gospel center movement to say like, well, Christ does it all. So I really don't ever have to get to character. Uh, and that is a pretty bad reading of pretty much the entire new Testament, <laughs> in my opinion. Um, but anyway, um, beyond this, you've been reading. So we, have a bon- we just made a bonus episode. Of- <laughs>